This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 132. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, pre or post deposition, deciding when to seek a protective order for objectionable 30B6 topics. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having a spectacular week and, of course, coming out ahead in all of your depositions. A common question from lawyers who defend 30B6 depositions is, when is it best to seek a protective order once it becomes clear the topic list is objectionable by motion before the deposition or after the deposition during which you timely made appropriate objections under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30C2 and 30D3 or its state equivalents to preserve your right to seek relief after the deposition is concluded. You might ask, if you do it before, is the court going to say, how would it know what's objectionable or not without hearing the questions and answers or reading them on the deposition transcript? Or you may wonder, if you do it after, is a court going to say, you should have asked before and you knew everyone was going to travel, if applicable, and you knew that the examining lawyer would be preparing and incurring significant expense And at the same time, you knew that you were not going to prepare a witness or have any witness testify to critical topics. So now it's time to pay up and do it all over again. The short answer is this. Before is almost always better if you can thoroughly brief the case, explaining with specificity why the topics are improper, and if you can raise the issue with the court well in advance of the actual deposition. So those are the broad rules of thumb. Give the court enough time and thoroughly brief the issue so the court has sufficient information to make an informed ruling. Keep in mind, of course, as you will, that this kind of motion is asking the court to forbid deposition questions before the questions have been asked. So given the broad scope of permissible discovery in nearly all cases, the record about the propriety of the planned topics or questions needs to be crystal clear to the court. Now, at the end of this episode, I'll outline arguments for and against a preemptive pre-30B6 deposition protective order. Also, I should point out that if you're the noticing party, you may on occasion find that the entity's lawyer is quite content to just object without seeking a protective order and let you proceed in the face of their objections. So there may be occasions where you, as the noticing lawyer, want to seek court guidance in the form of a motion to compel before conducting the deposition, because the same rationales for seeking a preemptive motion for protective order apply with equal force to a motion to compel filed by the noticing party. So let's dive in. Broadly speaking, if you're the defending party Before is better because you'll either get a definitive ruling where both sides now know the definitive contours of the deposition or you'll be told by the court that it's not going to rule in advance and that you should seek relief if needed after the deposition. But you know, in a way, an order saying too soon but bring it up after the deposition is needed is akin to an insurance policy against a post-deposition accusation that you should have raised this before. And that can be a good thing because your opposing number or even the court may well otherwise claim after the deposition that you should have raised this before, that your objections to the topics were not well-founded, 
and that everyone wasted resources to prepare, travel if applicable, and conduct the deposition on topics you never intended to allow the witness to address. Now footnote, the extent of coverage on this so-called insurance policy strategy depends on whether the lawyer seeking the protective order has properly and timely briefed the issue for the court. An 11th hour motion and or insufficient briefing might well result in a deferred ruling, but might also draw a court's ire for being asked to restrict discovery on an incomplete record or with incomplete time. All right, so now what do courts say on this issue, whether to seek a protective order before or after a 30B6 deposition? We've got cases in the show notes that go both ways, as you can imagine. But what a close reading of all the cases on both sides tells us is that there is often a legitimate reason to seek relief in advance and that the courts understand this because these kinds of disputes are likely to wind up in the court's lap anyway, before or after the deposition, and the court can do some real good by providing guidance to the lawyers who must prepare for the deposition. In the Deepwater Horizon case, uh, we've cited in the show notes, a 2023 ruling, the judge there said, look, this case has been pending for a while, and there have already been quite a number of discovery disputes, so let's address this issue now, the topics of the 30B6 deposition, and provide some clarification uh, ahead of time. In the Florida versus United States case in the show notes, a 2022 case, the court there said, based on the briefing, and a short case management telephone conference, it felt like it had a pretty good grip on the issues and could rule in advance uh, before the deposition. Both of those cases really illustrate the point I'm making today, which is that some good briefing and giving the court enough time to consider the issue makes all the difference in the world. Now, the cases that go the other way, that essentially say, no, we're not gonna rule on this before the deposition, mostly, seemed to show irritation that they were asked to rule on the matter without appropriate filings by either side and sufficient time to rule. And I should mention there's kind of a third category of cases. There are those for, those against, and then there are a number of cases, and we cited them in the show notes, where courts have simply ruled on a pending motion for protective order or a competing motion to compel on the topics without even addressing the issue whether it was proper to do so before the deposition. There, it seems like the courts take a pragmatic view and went ahead and addressed the issue because it made sense. And so the courts that have expressed concern just didn't seem to have a good enough record to make a ruling. And some of those relied, one or two of them relied on a more technical assessment of what the rules contemplate to avoid a preemptive ruling by essentially saying, well, look, organizational deponents are like every other. They're not entitled to any special advance ruling on deposition topics or questions, and the parties should present these kinds of matters to the courts after the deposition. And they kind of say, at that point, the parties will have conferred on the topics before, narrowed the disputes, conducted the deposition, perhaps resolved some additional agreements during and after the deposition, such that if and when it's presented to the court, the court will only need to address those limited number of topics or questions remaining that the parties just couldn't resolve. As for the rules, the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure and the supermajority of state court rules that have adopted uh, the federal court rules word for word or substantially uh, adopted them, don't address this. Don't address the issue of when it's appropriate to seek that protective order. 
the federal rules do now require, as you know, uh, the parties to confer on topics before a corporate representative or designated representative deposition, but they don't dictate the point at which the court should be presented with the dispute. Now, the federal rules, like virtually all state rules, do contain a general discovery rule that, among other things, authorizes parties from whom discovery is sought uh, to seek a protective order. And the language in the federal rule is, quote, to protect a party or person from annoyance, embarrassment, oppression, or undue burden or expense, including an order forbidding the disclosure or discovery entirely or forbidding inquiry into certain matters, close quote. That's um, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 26C1. But again, most states have a general discovery rule that incorporates the notion of protective orders and the grounds for them. But that's the toehold for seeking a protective order before the deposition, because obviously if you're defending a 30B6 deposition, then you're the party from whom discovery is being sought. Finally, it's also important to know if there's binding case law or rules of procedure, local or otherwise, in your jurisdiction on this point or prior rulings by your decision maker. You may also have a judge, a hearing officer or arbitrator who has adopted policies on this telling you their preference. All right. Uh, today we have eight or 10 cases in the show notes uh, and they fall into all three of those categories that I discussed a moment ago. And because we do like to provide you sample filings that make for excellent references when you need to draft your own motion for protective order or perhaps a response in opposition, we've got some additional subsections in the show notes for this episode where we point you to sample motions for protective orders, a couple of those, and below that in the show notes to a couple of sample responses in opposition. Both the motions and responses we've included were drafted by deep pocket litigants and outstanding lawyers or government agencies, one involving a fight between the state of Florida and the United States, and another a battle between the oil giant BP and the families of deceased employees stemming from the explosion of the Deepwater Horizon oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. So those are some excellent filings to use as models for and against a protective order before a 30B6 deposition. All right, let's review some practice pointers and then we'll wrap up. If you're defending the deposition and will be in the position of seeking a protective order pertaining to a 30B6 topic list, then you'll have already noted the first two topics we covered today. One, brief it thoroughly. And number two, file the motion well in advance of the deposition. And before you file that motion, of course, you will have conferred extensively with the noticing lawyers and documented those conferrals so that you can show the judge hearing officer, arbitrator, that considerable energy has already been expended uh, to resolve the matter in good faith without court intervention. In your filings, if you're the movement for a protective order, it's important to discuss the claims, the defenses, the discovery so far, and the deposition testimony, if any, so far as well. Of course, you'll also file the final 30B6 deposition notice you received and your notice of objections. You'll see in one of the sample filings that we included in the show notes uh, that one of the movements there prepared a formal notice of objections that really resembles a response in opposition to the deposition notice and was clearly intended for filing with the court. Many lawyers, of course, will object simply by email to the topics, and there's nothing impermissible about that. But if you have objected by email, you'll want to file those uh, with your motion for protective order as well 
And really, to dial back a step, you'll, of course, have drafted those objection emails with their future filing uh, with the court in mind. You'll also want to include any evidentiary exhibits that will shed light on the contours of the claims or defenses, and so also uh, the topics that the noticing party plans on covering. And to the extent applicable, you will uh, finally point to the problematic elements of the topics. It may be some of the topics seek privileged information. Maybe the timeframes are far too broad. Maybe the topics uh, go beyond the scope of the case or are intended to embarrass a party or witness. Maybe the topics call for the revelation of trade secrets. Or maybe simply that the cost of preparing is extreme or exorbitant. And so the information in question ought to be gathered through other means, such as fact or percipient witnesses, uh, interrogatories, or document requests. Now, on the flip side, if you're the noticing party and you are opposing any sort of advance limit on your topics, you will argue the opposite of each of those points with uh, your own briefing of equal detail. In no particular order, arguments that can be made uh, in opposition to a protective order uh, include that the topics are relevant to the claims and defenses, that the court ought to allow the examination to proceed because the movement has not and cannot provide sufficient information for the court to preemptively limit the topics. You'll also want to point out that the downside of restricting the topics before any questions have been asked is that it could substantially increase the risk of additional unnecessary expense from a second deposition or from additional discovery that could have been avoided through a single corporate representative deposition. That's an argument from the Barkdoa case uh, in the show notes from September 2023. Argue that the court shouldn't limit your inquiry because the topics are likely to lead to additional questions that are relevant to the claims and defenses. As you know, virtually all courts agree that even in a 30B6 deposition, uh, the designee can be asked questions properly other than those covered by the topics. Of course, a designee asked questions outside the topics is at that point speaking for themselves and not for the entity, so they're no longer the voice of the organization. And that portion of the examination is covered by the general deposition rules. So no special protection conferred on the designee by virtue of the fact that the deposition was noticed under Rule 30b-6. And for that reason, it doesn't make sense, you could argue, uh, to limit the topics beforehand. That's the King case, K-I-N-G, in the show notes. Some lawyers argue that the topics in your 30b-6 notice are the exclusive subjects that can be asked in a designated representative deposition, but most courts have said, no, that's just not so. I covered this, uh, by the way, in the fourth edition of the book that this podcast is based on, 10,000 Depositions Later, at pages 465 through 469, section 12.07, titled Questions Beyond the Listed Topics. Another point to argue in opposition to a motion for protective order, that limiting the topics increases the odds that you'll have to notice the individual that's been named as the designee for a future deposition as a percipient or a fact witness, and that it makes no sense to depose this person twice. You could also argue the point made by the court in the New World Network case in the show notes, which is that entities are afforded no special privilege under the rules to have an advanced ruling on topics or questions to be asked. All right, a couple of other points and then we will be done. 
in a related vein, argue that uh, covering topics in a 30B6 is more efficient than deposing multiple witnesses, whoever they might be, or attempting to cobble together a coherent response from the organization through documents. And it may be that there aren't going to be any documents uh, that can address the inquiries that you would pose to a properly prepared uh, corporate designee. If applicable, point out that you've already attempted to depose witnesses who have already claimed a lack of knowledge or that you've already attempted to gather those documents and still have not obtained the information needed. Finally, if appropriate, you can go beyond simply opposing a motion for protective order and proactively filing a motion to compel. If the organization you noticed for 30B6 deposition topics says it will not prepare witnesses on some or all of those topics. Some of the courts in the show notes, including the Brudnicki case, actually had dueling motions, a motion to compel and a motion for protective order pending before it at the same time. Most of the arguments that apply to the filing of a preemptive motion for protective order will also apply to a preemptive motion to compel. In some cases, it may simply make sense to get an advanced court ruling on the topics you can cover if the objections by the other side effectively gut the value of your 30B6 deposition. Okay, that's it for today. Just very interesting stuff as always. We've got the best cases on point in the show notes as well as references to those sample filings that you can use as models. We include the research and sample filings for cases on which each episode is based so that the podcast always serves as a research database for you at no cost whenever you face an issue that we addressed. Uh, finally, as you've heard me say, our show notes sometimes run longer than the various hosting sites will allow, but that doesn't mean that the portion not shown isn't available to you. It just means that you need to click through to our podcast homepage where you'll always find the complete notes. As always, thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.